Do you have a place, maybe more than one, those places in your life that feel extraordinary? Those places, those times where you feel God's presence more than others? I do. I've been going to Montreat for over 20 years now. It is what I would call a thin space, a place where I experience God's presence in a very real and palpable way every time I am there. Montreat is in North Carolina, about 20 minutes east of Asheville, and is nestled in a valley surrounded by beautiful mountains. To get there, you have to drive up the mountain. And as you go up, you get the feeling that you are setting yourself apart from the ordinary patterns of life. It feels as if you are moving into extraordinary time. Presbyterian groups from all over the country go to Montreat for a number of different reasons. But at the root is a deep desire for an extraordinary moment of encounter with God's presence on that particular mountain. The mountaintop has long been a place in the history of human yearning where God has been found. Maybe the idea of the mountaintop was planted in our heads and our hearts by Jesus, who often retreated to the high places for times of prayer and reflection, in preparation usually for a time of big momentous occasion in his life. Maybe he went there to ground himself, to ground himself in deeper relationship with God. Just before today's reading from Mark, Jesus revealed to his disciples that he was going to suffer the humiliation of being rejected, that he was going to die, that he was going to be resurrected three days later. And when he did that, Peter rebuked him for saying such things. But Jesus would have none of it, telling his disciples that they had this problem with holding on too tightly to their earthly expectations. The text tells us that for six days they went on about their business. But I imagine it was not business as usual. That conversation, those series of rebukes, I imagine, lingered in their minds. The disciples were left yearning for answers, for understanding. So when Jesus told Peter and James and John that they were coming with him for some prayer time on the mountain, I bet they jumped at the chance, though they had no idea what they were in store for. More than two millennia later, we still don't really understand what happened there on that mountain that day when Jesus' clothes became dazzling white, whiter than any bleach could make them. Other versions of the text of this story and the other Gospels tell us that Jesus was literally glowing, that he was light, the very light of God, so radiant that they couldn't see. Among all of the gospel accounts, Mark's version of the transfiguration of Jesus could be called a beginner's guide to transfiguration. 
It's the shortest account, the most sparsely detailed. And while something mysterious, dazzling, and revealing indeed happened, we learn in Mark's gospel that nothing about the nature of Jesus that was revealed in that moment was new. The divine voice that is heard saying, This is my son, the beloved, listen to him, is the same voice that was heard at Jesus' baptism. Jesus had already demonstrated divine power through many acts of healing and other miracles. Jesus' followers had already seen in him a light that was the very light of God and heard a voice that was the very voice of God. In the transfiguration, much of what is seen and heard has already been seen and heard before. What's different about this event is that here in the center of Mark's gospel, the veil of God's big plan concerning Jesus is lifted, and we are given a vision of the past, a vision of the present, and a vision of the future all at once. On the way to the future, which holds for Jesus the cross, where he will suffer and die, he stands there on the mountaintop, illumined by the past with Moses, the giver of the law, and with Elijah, the prophet of God. In a glimpse, we see the broad scope of God's plan, how God has cared for humanity from the very beginnings of time. In a moment, we experience the eternal. But we can't quite wrap our heads around it. The Presbyterians who make the trek to Montreat, those of us who go to our thin places for a sense of connection with God are a lot like Peter, James, and John. We are wishing for an experience that would provide us a glimpse of God's plan. We are wishing for understanding that will help us to know that we are not alone. But when those very moments do come along, when we feel that God has drawn near to us, more often than we like to admit, in those moments, we find ourselves afraid and feeling suddenly very much out of control. We try to domesticate that experience, that experience of the holy that we've yearned for, by fitting it into a plan that we can understand. Like the disciples, we want to find ways to build dwellings in that place to keep the divine there so that we can return there when we need to, but the divine is not going to come with us every day. But what does Jesus do? Jesus says, nope, we're going back down together. The divine leaves that thin space to travel with those disciples. I suspect that as much as we want an encounter with God, we simultaneously fear the presence of God because we fear being changed. We fear being transformed. 
What we have, who we are, may not be everything, but at least we know it. We are used to it. We've built a relatively orderly life around what we currently know. And so when God comes, perhaps not in a transfiguration where he's glowing quite as brightly as Jesus did that day, but when God comes in the ordinary hopes, the ordinary encounters, the tragedies of our everyday lives, when God comes and unsettles the orderly lives that we've constructed, we try to put those disruptive experiences back into line by cramming them into a plan that feels okay, by cramming them into dwellings that can stay there. This is what I think Paul was warning the Corinthians about in today's reading. The God's little g of this world are the things that block us from seeing the light of Christ already present in the world, already surrounding us. The God's little g of this world are those things that distract us from seeing the face of Christ in the world, the face of Christ in each other. The God's little g of this world are the things that we use to domesticate Christ's radiant light at work in our lives. The God's little g could be our busy schedules, those important meetings that we just have to get to, our kids' soccer games, our kids' hockey practices, our work schedules, our volunteer work. All of those things are about us, about the things that we do. But the Transfiguration reminds us that as a people of faith, we are not telling the world how great we are. We are not telling the world how important we are. In the Transfiguration, we are reminded that we are about creating space in our lives for the holy to enter in and for those spaces to show forth through our faces, our hands, our feet, our words, how great God is. Even the work we do in God's name has not been immune from our attempts to control God's presence in our lives. For too long, the church universal has gone out into the world to serve in the name of God, to carry the good news out into the world, to provide for the needs we have identified in the world. Mission expert Miriam Adonai relates a story about told to her by an African Christian friend. The story goes like this. Elephant and mouse were best friends. One day, Elephant said, Mouse, let's have a party. Animals gathered from far and near. They ate and drank and sang and danced, and nobody celebrated more exuberantly than the Elephant. And after it was over, Elephant exclaimed, Mouse, did you ever go to a better party? What a celebration! Whooey! 
but Mouth did not answer. Where are you? Elephant called. And then he looked down, and he shrank back in horror that at his feet lay the mouse, his body ground into the dirt, smashed by the exuberance and energy of his friend, the elephant. Sometimes that is what it is like to do mission work with you Westerners, this African storyteller commented. It's like dancing with an elephant. For far too long, we have controlled how we experience God in the world, which has limited our ability to hear and see Christ already present and at work in the world around us. We have gone into the world with our minds made up, with a clear list of what needs to be accomplished and how we are going to accomplish it. And this has resulted in the church missing the image of God already present in our lives. This has resulted in us missing the radiant presence of Christ, saying, stand and witness and listen to me. We have been too busy trying to stick to a plan that we have created. But maybe, just maybe, there is no plan. Maybe there's only love. And perhaps our job is to bear witness to God's love already at work in the world. To bear witness and to be transfigured by Christ's presence so that others can see Christ in us. Maybe in our daily lives we should be less worried about building booths to make Christ's presence neat and tidy, and more concerned about standing together in the mystery of God and God's love. Mark's gospel shows us that we are called to the toughest work imaginable. We are called to put aside the God's little g of this world in order to bear witness. We are called to the toughest work imaginable. We are called to stand and witness Christ's radiant presence. We are called to stand and hear the word of the one true God fill the world. Today we commission a team to go out into the world on our behalf. We commission a team to travel to the Dominican Republic. I bet all of you wish you were going right now. We commission this group to go out into the world to spend extraordinary time with members of Bate 105. We commission this group to be attentive to the presence of Christ in that place, to be present, and to witness how Christ is active in our lives. We commission this group not to accomplish our tasks, but to bear witness to the glory of Christ active and present. We commission this group to stand together with our brothers and sisters there so we can truly hear the word of God fill the world. But even as we commission this group 
We affirm that Christ is present here in our midst. And so we remember that like Peter and James and John, we are called to stand and witness and then to leave this place as those who have seen God's glory in Christ Jesus. We are called to leave this place and not to fill it, the world, with words, but like Christ, to fill it with the love of God, made evident by the way we live each and every day. We are called to the toughest job, to stand and to bear witness, and to be still, so we can hear God's goodness coming to us. Amen.